True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Sleepers, breakouts, and busts 1.0. Woo! Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, January 26th. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. As always, before we get into all that, all the fun stuff throughout the podcast, why am I wearing a Kobe Bryant jersey while hosting a Fantasy Baseball podcast, huh? You might ask yourself if you're watching us on YouTube. Well, he is my favorite athlete of all time. And of course, today is the one-year anniversary of the passing of not only Kobe Bryant, but his daughter and the rest of the victims involved in that helicopter crash that day. Uh, so I did want to just shine a light on Kobe Bryant and also just a bad job by me. Truly one of the greatest Hammer and Hank Aaron passed away over the weekend. So, of course, rest in peace to Hank Aaron. Scott, I know that you are a big Atlanta Braves fan. 755 career home runs, all-time leader in both RBI and total bases. Two of the best to ever do it in their respective sports, both Kobe Bryant and, and Hank Aaron. Um, so just wanted to honor those guys at the top of the podcast and uh, ask both of you for your favorite baseball players of all time. Scott, anyone come to mind? Maybe it's Hank Aaron. Well, I, I obviously missed Hank Aaron's playing career. And so that's mostly what I'd be basing my opinion on. My, my favorite is actually John Smoltz, who... For people listening, they may know him more as a commentator now. And, and uh, you may question why he's your favorite. <laughs> he's, he's your favorite broadcaster of all time, Scott. No, no, he's not. He's, <laughs> I mean, he's fine. I think he does a good job. And I think, I think people are too hard on him, as is typical for national broadcasters. But um, yeah, he's just, he was just so intense when he played. So intense and such a big game pitcher and really the only one of the big Braves pitchers from the 90s that was a strikeout pitcher, you know, and that was always more fun to watch. Uh, it's part, probably a big reason why he seemed to step up in the big moments uh, just by preventing contact. So he was my favorite. I also have a soft spot for Ryan Klesko. Who I loved just, Ryan Klesko. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Obviously not the same like stature as... Anyone with a big open batting stance. I loved as a kid. Oh, and his was just so exaggerated. Yeah. Like, 
every part of his stance was exaggerated, like the way he rested the bat on his shoulder and certainly mm-hmm. the way he actually swung the bat where he looked like he was falling over yep. every time. It's so fun to go online and watch Ryan Klesko home run highlights. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to do. There's really been nobody I can think of who swung a bat quite like he did. And of course, I'm showing my age here, but uh, I'm currently Googling the Ryan Klesko batting stance so I can uh, see what you guys are talking about a little bit it, before it, my it time. It changed a lot. Over, he was somebody who was constantly changing his stance, okay. but like he always had the exaggerated swing. Yeah. Mm. Now we're, see, we're already getting off topic. But it, <laughs> yes, it, we it wasn't quite Tony Bautista who has maybe the greatest swing in Major League history. You guys don't remember? He's the guy who's basically facing the pitcher. Yes, while he's uh while he's hitting, uh, but very good, Ryan Klesko. Mm. Uh, Scott, uh, Chris, your favorite, one of your favorite baseball players of all time. Anyone, anyone stand it's, out among the rest? Is. Just everything he, you know, his his story, the fact that he came to Miami and played there. You know, um, you know, my grandfather was a was a Cuban refugee. He he left Cuba during the nineteen fifties, um, and so just you know. What he meant playing in South Florida, the joy that he, he you know, expressed. And then, you know, you could just tell he, there was nowhere he'd rather be than on a baseball field. And, uh, and also, he's probably one of the five best pitchers I've ever seen in my life. So it was just, it was an, uh, an uncanny combination of, you know, right place, right time. Uh, right person in Miami and you know, his, his passing obviously was, uh, you know, I, I still, there are still times when I'm like, I, I don't believe it actually happened still. And it's been, you know, four and a half years or something like that. Yeah, no, for sure. Definitely. Um, just electric on the mound. I remember one of, uh, one of his best moments, it's just gifts. You see it everywhere with him and Troy Tulowitzki, Tulo just hitting that line drive and, and Jose Fernandez catching it there. He so just like it was my favorite though. There's, he was facing, I believe Kenta Maeda with the Dodgers and he was hitting and, uh, Kenta Maeda threw like multiple sliders that just made him look completely ridiculous. And he nearly fell down while swinging. And then he goes back to the dugout and he's like talking to, to his teammates, like trying to like, I just, I thought it was coming at my head and it's like ducking and it's, he was just so, such a joy to watch play. Yeah. Um, Jose Fernandez, that is for Chris, uh, Vladimir Guerrero senior, just, you know, I didn't yeah. get to catch him early in his career. Uh, so I don't know of the Vlad that used to steal bases, but, uh, my recollection, recollection with the angels, the Rangers, the Orioles being able to hit balls that bounce on the ground, yeah. uh, hit balls that are up at his eyes. <laughs> it's just no batting gloves. I loved watching Vlad Guerrero. Just grow a, up. a complete force of nature. It's one of those ones where like people would try to argue, Oh, well the defensive stats were bad and his war was only 55. Maybe he shouldn't be in the hall. And it's like, stop. You cannot just tell stop. the story of Major League Baseball in the 1990s and 2000s without Vladimir Guerrero. <laughs> you just cannot do it. And that alone, like there was just nobody like him. Yeah. And, and think about the era that he played in. And he's one of the only guys that like we really don't have questions about. I mean, unless I'm missing something, but I never heard his name brought up in any type of allegations. Or hey, anything. man, even if he did, it doesn't. Right. <laughs> he was ridiculous. And, uh, you know, maybe he's a bad defender, but also his arm was it's just, ridiculous. Yeah. It's just one of the, like, if ridiculous. you're worried about Vladimir Guerrero's defense, you're missing the point. <laughs> just like, stop watching baseball. All right. So, like, oh, well, he was minus 22 in FRRA from 2001 <laughs> to 2000. It's like, shut up. Shut up, nerd. I love that you're playing on the field, not the spreadsheet. 
Wow. I love that you're, uh, you're quoting something that could wind up being, you know, an argument that you would use against someone else on another, on a different day. Maybe like Derek Jeter. (laughs) It's fine to make that argument (laughs) against Derek Jeter. (laughs) Uh, Now that we've spent seven minutes of the podcast talking about our our favorite baseball players and athletes of all time. Again, we are doing sleepers, breakouts and bus 1.0 today. Have some news and notes and we will get to questions today. I promise no matter what, when we get to the 50 minute mark, I'm stopping no matter what's going on. We're answering questions today. News and notes. The big news Monday that came out was Cactus League Executive Director Bridget Binsbacher, hope I got that right, penned a letter to MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred signed by local leaders from all eight Cactus League municipalities that noted it would be, quote, wise to delay the start of spring training until sometime in mid-March due to the rising number of COVID-19 cases in and around Arizona's Maricopa County. Binsbacher later told ESPN that the 10 facilities in Arizona will be ready to open if spring training begins when currently scheduled. Doesn't mean uh, anything yet, but we keep hearing these rumblings about a potential delay. So I don't know if either of you have anything to add here. It's just kind of a wait and see approach for now. Well, that that was my initial take. Then I saw a tweet from Jason Stark, now of The Athletic, who basically said there's no way the players union is going to go for that. Um, you know, it has to be, it's not something the league can just decide on its own. It has to get the approval of the, uh, the players union to delay the start of spring training, which would of course, most likely delay the start of the season. And then you get into a situation of how many games do you play the players for again? And, and he's just saying the players union isn't going to go for that. So, um, you know, I, I have no reason to believe at this point that the that spring training won't start on time, whether it's in Arizona or Florida. Things could change, obviously. We don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm I wanna be freaking out over this uh over this letter that was written. It is worth noting that the NBA has dealt with so many issues without a bubble uh right now. Obviously, I mean we're you know still in the middle of a pandemic, even with uh vaccinations coming out, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're, there's, we'll talk about it again at some point, but there's, assuming players are not vaccinated by the start of the season, like there's there's going to be things that happen, of course. Um, similar yeah, I mean, we, to, we dealt with it last year. Yeah, we dealt right. with it. Yeah, so it we, was uh, honestly slightly less of an issue in baseball than I expected it to be, but uh, what we're seeing in basketball does make me think that we're probably going to have, um, you know, more incidences, at least early on in the season. For sure. The other big news from Monday came from John Heyman, who reported the MLB Players Association has rejected a plan for the universal DH and expanded playoffs. It was interesting how he framed this because he kind of pinned it all on the MLBPA, but we know that's that's... not the case. It's obviously uh, there's two sides to every coin and negotiation. Um, But yeah, if there's no DH in the National League, that obviously limits... Uh, some spots for Marcelo Zuna and Nelson Cruz and potentially some other players. I missed this on yesterday's podcast, but Jerks and Profar re-signed with the Padres over the weekend on a three-year deal. If there's no DH, the Padres have three spots available, second base, left field, and right field for five players. In Tommy Pham, Will Myers, Jake Cronenworth, Ha Seung Kim, who came over from Korea, and jerks and Profar. So, Scott, uh, I mean, at some point, let's just say there's no DH. Are we kind of devaluing 
all of those players because I imagine they're going to just mix and match to keep everyone fresh, at least at those spots. Maybe even yeah, Trent my, Grisham loses time. I don't know. Yeah, may, maybe. I mean, there's there's a chance everybody loses a little bit of time when you have two super utility players on the roster because that was the role Hassan Kim was supposed to fill. And so my reaction to Profar re-signing with San Diego was to lower Profar, was to lower Kim, uh, was to lower Cronenworth a little bit. Those are the only three guys I lowered because I think they will end up eating each other's at-bats the most, but it affects the whole lineup. You know, maybe Wilts Myers comes back down to earth. Maybe Tommy Pham uh, is just hurt all year. He's had so many injury troubles over the past couple of years, and he's not getting any younger. You know, Profar got most of his playing time last year filling in for Pham in left field. So maybe, maybe this is a reflection of how the Padres feel about Pham's health right now, or just, you know, they want to be prepared in case it goes wrong again. Yeah, and it, it could definitely just be an organizational tactic that they're going for because they kind of have done the same thing with pitching. We keep wondering, oh, is Lamette healthy? And they say, we just won a lot of depth on the team. So maybe they want depth in the rotation. They want depth for uh, the middle infield and for the outfield as well. So um, at some point, if there's no DH, you know, I'm going to have to think a little bit more about Tommy Pham, someone I do like, but... If they want to keep him fresh, maybe maybe he sits out once or twice a week. So that would obviously uh, devalue him a little bit. I was thinking about other teams that this could affect. No DH. Obviously, the Mets came to mind, uh, and I tweeted about Dominic Smith, but he's still penciled in to play left field. Sandy Alderson has said things along the lines of, well, we don't love him in left field, but I think his bat is just so good that they'll find a way to get Dominic Smith in. So I'm not completely worried about that. Uh, the Reds was the only other team that, kind of stood out to me because likely one of Shogo Akiyama, Jesse Winker, or Nick Senzel, who ironically enough I have as one of my sleepers, uh, would lose time if there's no DH. So pay attention to the Red situation as well. Uh, Adam Adovino was traded from the Yankees to the Red Sox on Monday. Adovino went from a 1.90 ERA in 2019 to a 5.89 ERA in 2020. He's had four straight seasons with a walk per nine over four, uh, and his BABIP skyrocketed while his swinging strike rate plummeted this past season. Um, Chris, any chance he steals some saves away from uh, Matt Barnes? This is Adovino. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're you know worried about the walk rate for Adam Adovino, then it's kind of worth noting that Matt Barnes has had his own issues with walks in the past, uh, and so. I think there's a decent chance Adam Adovino gets a chance to be the closer for the Red Sox at some point. I would bet on it. Uh, partially that's because he's really good, and partially that's because, you know, Matt Barnes is okay. You know, sometimes not particularly okay. Sometimes he looks really, really good. Um, and also he's he's a closer. And so you should bet, if any given closer you probably won't lose money betting that someone else will be getting saves for some amount of time for that team in any given year. Yeah. And I, be I believe I've seen somewhere that Alex Cora has been kind of non-committal on Matt Barnes. Like, yeah, he's the guy because they just don't really have anybody else right now. But I believe it was 2019 where Barnes was expected to start as a closer and he quickly, he lost it to like Ryan Brandon Brazier. Workman. And then it was uh Brandon Workman towards the end of that season. So Whatever, Matt Barnes. Yeah, like Matt Barnes had a 4-3 OERA last year and a 4-8-4 fit. It, yeah. It's probably, like, Adam Avina's probably a better pitcher. Yeah, the the 5.89 ERA for Adovino doesn't 
tell the entire story. Uh, no. 3.78 XFIP, 3.62 Sierra. So I, I think there's there's still something left there with uh, with Adovino. So monitor that for the Red Sox closer situation. That'll do it with news and notes. I do want to quickly plug a few things. We've reached that point of the year where there is a lot, a lot of sports going on at once. NBA, college hoops, hockey. Hockey doesn't... Do you guys watch hockey? I don't, I don't know. I've, Never. It's the only sport that I can't really get into because I didn't play it growing up. I'm not completely against it, but there's hockey. There's hockey as well. Uh, of course, not to mention the NFL playoffs and golf going on which is why we wanted to tell you about the CBS Sports app and how it's not just the best scoring app for your phone, but it's also where you get breaking news alerts, stories by all of our CBS Sports writers, including all of us here, so you can read our sleepers, breakouts, and busts 1.0 articles on this app as well. Uh, their standing schedules, team pages, and all the sportsy digital stuff that you are used to. And of course, it's if there is a game airing on CBS, that means it's streaming on the CBS Sports app. Easy, right? Download it, re-download it if you've got that little cloud logo next to it on your phone. And you know we love those five-star ratings, so don't hesitate to drop one for the app. If you do, tweet us a screenshot along with a mailbag question for us to use on an upcoming episode of Fantasy Baseball Today. Thanks, as always, for your support. Uh, And if you want all of just our content, just the Fantasy Baseball content, delivered right to your inbox, free of cost, Sign up for the Fantasy Baseball Today newsletter. Um, Actually, by the time you're hearing this, you might just have one in your inbox. See if I can get that tonight. We're recording late at night. But if I can get to one, I get around to one, you will have a newsletter in your inbox um, with our first rounds of sleepers, breakouts, and busts. And you can sign up for the newsletter, all of our newsletters at CBS, at cbsports.com slash newsletters. Chris does great work with the uh, Fantasy Football Today newsletter as well. I agree. (laughs) <laughs> you should, you should. Uh, sleepers, breakouts, and bus 1.0. It's worth noting that we will do uh, extensive podcasts for each of these as we ramp up, but we wanted to wet your whistle a little bit, let, let you know some of the players that we've got on our radar thus far. Um, wet before, your whistle. Wet, wet the whistle. Wet whistle. it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that expression. I, I'm glad I, you used it. I think re- recently I said wet your appetite. I don't think that's right. No, it is, but it's a different, it's a, it, I believe that one is W-H-E-T. Oh, and wet appetite. your whistle isn't? I don't think so. What is I've wet? Always I was, was saying wet. Like I've always thought it was like wetting, like, because it's like drinking is like usually how it's. That's what I hmm. think. There goes the microphone again. So wet with W-H-E-T means sharpen the blade of. Sharpen one's desire for. Mm. Or that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, I don't think wet your whistle. I believe wet your whistle is just wet your whistle. Okay. Like drink a thing because okay. you you know. So either when one you're works. To whistle. If it's dry, you don't get the, you know. Well, does whistle oh, refer so to the, a sound somebody makes with their mouth in that case, or does it refer to the mouth itself? I guess either way, you could just be wetting I mean, your, it. Right? Your mouth is your whistle <laughs> instrument. Okay. Oh man, we are uh, not even it's twenty minutes machine. in, and we've had <laughs> we've had some. <laughs> some uh, some great little uh, rants already. Uh, all right, before we get into the actual players, Scott, what is the difference between a sleeper and a breakout? <laughs> uh-huh. Well, I think, so a, a sleeper is just any player who's not getting enough love in drafts. I think that's the simplest way to put it. 
Under uh, undervalued. Make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Scott did not want to say uh, yes. He's like, no. Inside. Well, because I, I think underappreciated, underrespected, underloved. But but not uh, undervalued. <laughs> undervalued. Well, no, I, I think you could describe it as undervalued. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Um, <laughs> I think you're good. I don't know why I'm being so harsh with that. Um, never mind. I won't get into that. <laughs> A breakout often includes sleepers as well. Like most breakouts you could probably call sleepers as well because they're, you know, you're highlighting the, that they have the potential to be better than what they're being drafted as. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's hard to call some breakouts a sleeper because nobody's really sleeping on them, you know, or it, you couldn't really call a sleeper a breakout. Who's you're basically saying is going to get back to the level he already reached before. Like a breakout also implies that they haven't done this thing that they're about to do Mm -hmm. before. I, I will disagree there. Okay. I think it's just reach a new level regardless of if they've been there before. And I will, Always remember 2017 when John Carlos Stanton hit 58 home runs. Here we go. I wanted to make him my breakout, and everyone's like, you can't make him a breakout. He's already broken out. I thought you wanted to make him a sleeper. Either way. <laughs> it would have been both, but since, I think it was breakout. Since when do you follow right. rules, Chris? Like, why did it? Well, not anymore. Yeah, not anymore. Although I guess now I have to. I'm no longer <laughs> the boss. So if, if RJ does want to make some rules, I guess I do have to follow them. All right. But until he sets those rules. I'm making a rule right now, Chris, and that is you have to give me one of your sleepers. Uh, do you have like a, a groaning or booing uh, sound effect? Is it Giancarlo Stanton? Giancarlo Stanton. No, don't do it. Giancarlo Stanton. My sleepers I don't are... have it, but, but Chris, I do have this. Giancarlo no, Stopilo. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> and my, my sleeper picks are kind of all in that same vein of, you know, guys who have been established, but I think are being undervalued coming into the season. And, you know, the, the thing about John Carlos Stan, we've talked about it several times before. And Scott, Scott feel free is, to doze off. Scott um, is so annoyed right now. He led the majors in batted ball. Why were you going to say John Carlos Stan? No. Oh, okay, I, I just don't think anybody needs to hear that you like Giancarlo Stanton ever well, again. <laughs> but it's not just that I like him. It's okay. not. I'm not some fanboy. I'm All not right. rocking a jersey. Okay. Uh, he led the majors in batted balls over 115 miles per hour. Uh, from 2015 through 2019, he had more than twice as many batted balls over 115 miles an hour as the number two guy. Which is all to say there's been no signs of decline in his game. Uh, yes, he can strike. He'll strike out, and you can point to, oh, he's got a swinging strike rate of X percent, but that's always who he's been. And when you're talking about changing your viewpoint on a player, I want to know if I've learned something new about them. And in Giancarlo Stanton's case, we didn't learn anything new about him in 2020. We didn't learn anything new about him in 2019. When he played, he was still good. He still hit the ball incredibly hard, harder than anyone in baseball. Uh, it's just he hasn't played much. But when you're talking about a, an ADP of 115 or 121.06 in NFC drafts right now. That just, that screams undervalued. That screams people sleeping on him. Uh, if he plays 150 games, he's probably going to be a top 30 player. I, I just, I, I think it's just about guaranteed. And uh, at this point, it's just, you're, you're discounting him for the injuries 
and for something else. And I don't think that makes sense. Yeah. And Chris and I, we butt heads last year over Giancarlo Stanton. And, and that's when his ADP was... It was in like the 70 range, I think. It, it was, every, everybody, everybody butted heads with Chris over Giancarlo Stanton last and year. And I was right. It was 63. His ADP was 63, according to the NFBC from last year. Now he's going past pick 100. Uh, he played a higher percentage of his games in 2020 versus 2019, and his ADP dropped 40 spots. So I, I don't really understand that. And I can actually get behind this, Chris. I, I think that well, he is undervalued. And it's kind of a similar situation to Carlos Correa, who I also was not on last year. He is mm -hmm. one of my sleepers because I think that he is undervalued in OPS over 900 in two of his last four seasons, has proved that he can be an elite player entering a contract year. And I think the hate has just gone too far for Carlos Correa now. So I'm with you on Stanton, and I would throw Carlos Correa in that mix as well. Scott, you were going to say something? Well, you, you say he played a higher percentage of his games, Stanton did in 2020 than 2019. Yeah. But he... That's because he hardly played at all in 2019. He, he played only, he played a little more than a third of the season last year. Yeah. Uh, now he was around for the whole postseason in between the regular season and postseason. I think it was 11 it was home 30, runs. In, 30 games and, yeah, 10 home runs in 30 games. Okay. I thought it was even more than that. Um, but that's, yeah. Okay. That's you're right. really good. Yeah. No, that is really good. I definitely believe he. I think last year I tried to make the argument he was showing signs of decline and I don't feel that way anymore. And because the price tag has dropped, like it has for all DH only players, uh, I can get behind this pick a little more this year than I could last year too. I'm more likely to fill that spot with JD Martinez, Jordan Alvarez, Nelson Cruz. So I don't think I'm going to have much Stanton. But I don't think it's like, if you fill that spot with one of those guys, I don't think that, forbids you from drafting Stan because it's very likely he's going to gain outfield eligibility at some point during the season yeah. if like J.D. Martinez or whoever you're blocking him with doesn't. I mean, I, I don't think Alvarez or Cruz is going to gain that, yeah. but Martinez could. Yeah, and it's worth noting that Stanton is going later than all of those other util-only names that you mentioned. So again, outside the top 100, uh, and it was a super small sample size as it was for everybody. It was only 23 games, but he slimmed down. He did things a little bit differently. Swinging strike rate went down. Strikeouts went down. More line drives than ever before. So do with that what you will. Uh, even if you don't want to buy into it, he's still undervalued. Scott, your first sleeper. So I think I'm going to go with Griffin Canning here, which is obviously a different range of sleeper. Like oh. We're talking about no more than a late round pick for Canning, but I mm -hmm. think there, were, there was a lot of hype around canning at this time a year ago. And then remember he had the elbow trouble in spring training and people were like, does he need Tommy John surgery? And his value just tanked. Then the season started late and he was there for the start of it. And people were like, okay, maybe we need to get back on board the Griffin canning bandwagon. But then like he wasn't getting the whiffs at all at the start of the year, the slider, the whiff-tastic slider he showed in 2019 that made him a sleeper. It just, he was still throwing it a lot, but it wasn't getting the whiffs. And he was getting uh, some bad results. And so I think at that point, a lot of people just tuned out completely from Griffin Canning. But everything changed for him again over his last five starts. His swinging strike rate jumped from 9.9 .9 to 14.5, which is like opposite ends of the spectrum, like bottom of the league versus top of the league in that particular metric. And along with that, his K per nine jumped from 7.5 to 10.4. Mm -hmm. 
His ERA during that five-star stretch for what, for what it's worth was 314. So he was pitching much better. The slider kind of came back during that stretch. It started getting whiffs again. But more than that, like he, he developed a curveball in the meantime to kind of get by without the slider. And, and when he had both of them working, like it just, it, it just became a, a pretty special arsenal, even better than it looked like at this time a year ago. So I think Griffin Canning may be on the verge of taking off. Um, you know, I think he, he proved in regaining his slider and, and throwing it with conviction again toward the end of the year that his elbow is, is healthy at this point and, uh, you know, no cost to getting him. Yeah, I think the, the, the big thing that stands out there is if he can sustain the gains he made with that curveball from 2020 and get back to the success he had with the slider in, 2020, in 2019 when he had a 45% whiff rate with it, um, yeah, it could be, you know, a, a, a really devastating combination for a guy who, you know, already does do a pretty good job of getting strikeouts, but could, you know, take a leap into the 10 K per nine range. Yeah. And he had some prospect pedigree. I remember two years ago when he got called up, people were making a big deal about him and rightfully so the angels need him to be good. I mean, they're bargain basement hunting. If that's a thing. Uh, for pitchers again, they sign Jose Quintana. They have not signed Trevor Bauer yet, which I think would probably be a great fit for them. But uh, they're going to need Griffin Canning to be really good. And you know, you spoke up the curveball and the slider, Scott. Uh, and according to Fangraphs, his changeup was much better. They they have these pitch values. His changeup was better last year than much better last year than it was even in uh, 2019. So in conjunction with all those other things. If this changeup, which he throws around 15% of the time, it's, you know, it adds to the repertoire. Uh, we're talking about potentially four pitches for Griffin Canning. So, yeah, I definitely think a name to watch. The ADP for Canning is 266.5 over on Fantasy Pro. So, basically free one of your last round picks. And I'm going down that route as well, Scott, with, uh, with one of my sleepers here. I am going with Nasty Nate Avaldi. People, I'm sure many people have fatigue over Nate Avaldi at this point, but just one of these guys, I, I I can't quit. Throws extremely hard. He's changed the the pitch mix a couple of times the the past few years. Has a cutter, uh, has a, a a few other breaking pitches as well. But in 2020, 9.7 K per nine, 1.3 walks per nine, both career best, supported by a 34% chase rate, 13% swinging strike rate for Nathan Avaldi. His 22.6% K minus walk rate would have ranked 12th among starting pitchers had he qualified, ahead of names like Luis Castillo, Zach Greinke, and Dylan Bundy. Avaldi finished the season with a 3.72 ERA. That included a start in Yankee Stadium where he allowed eight earned runs. If you take away that start, he had a 2.51 ERA. So I'm chasing it. I'm chasing the dragon that is Nathan Avaldi. I don't know if you want to call Nathan Avaldi a dragon, but. Scott, who would you rather have between those two, Avaldi or, or Canning? I'd rather have Canning. Mm. How about you, Chris? Once a, once a Marlin, always a Marlin. Remember that. I would think I have Avaldi a little higher. I do like him quite a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's such a weird pitcher because he's one of those guys who throws really, really hard but doesn't really uh, get the kind of results that you'd like to see with the fastball. But... He, you know, he, last season he did, he did last have a 391 Woba against the fastball. X Woba was 311, so maybe you can point to a little bit of bad luck there. Um, 
But, you know, I, I think the big thing has been the development of the cutter um, over the last couple of seasons, and, and that seemed to really help him uh, take a step forward in that 2018 season when he was... Was it 2018 or 2019 when he... Yeah, it was 2018. 2018 when he won the World Series with the Red Sox, um, you know, got the big extension in the offseason, and, um, you know, I, I think he still looks like that guy. I think that was 2017, actually, right? That they won the World no, Series. He didn't. No, he was traded to the Red Sox in 2018. You're right. You're right. Yeah, he didn't pitch in 2017. Yeah. My bad. So, you know, obviously injuries have been a significant issue for him uh, in his career. And so, you know, that's always a concern. But as a late round flyer, I've ended up with Havaldi in, a, in, I think, at least one of the drafts that we've done so far. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm there with you. Just another name on that list for me. Four of my top 30. Then, whatever, your last five rounds, Nate Evaldi, Griffin Canning, uh, Jamison Tyone's probably going to move up a little bit now, but yeah. uh, just a lot of players in that range. I'm blanking on a few other names, but there's a lot of guys that I like uh, also in there, like Brady Singer, John Means, Jordan Montgomery. They're all going super late in drafts, so uh, excited about some of those names. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll hit breakouts here, Fantasy Baseball Today. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. We're back here, and we have breakouts, and leading off for us is Scott White. Scott, your first breakout you'd like to talk about? Not Giancarlo Stanton. <laughs> no, I think I'm going to go with another late round pitcher, one you just mentioned, actually, because this might be my, like, if, if we do a players I love segment on Valentine's Day, I don't know if we're going to do that this year, but if we do, I think, we I think I'm leaning toward picking John Means. Business. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think of the best time to fit that in. Yeah, no, John showed down. John Means showed down the stretch last year that John means business because, I mean, from the start of the year, his fastball velocity was up two miles per hour. But, like, it was easy enough to ignore because he was pitching like crap. He had an 810 ERA uh, over his, uh, how many starts was it? Yeah, he, he was pitching awful at the start of the year. But then, like, suddenly it kicked in. His final four starts, 
his uh, swinging strike rate went from actually it was his final. Yeah, sorry, I'm losing. I'm getting mixed up in my numbers here. So okay, it was the first six starts where he had an eight ten ERA, and he had an eight point seven strike swinging strike rate during that stretch, and then over his final. F- four starts, it became a 15.7% swinging strike rate, which is like Garrett Cole territory. And he was just unbelievable. His K per nine went from 5.4 in the first six to 11.4 in the final four. His ERA went from 810 to 152. And like, it's just like he, he figured out how to make that velocity work for him. His changeup was this great swing and miss pitch uh, he's always had fantastic control like that. When when John Means has been successful in the past, it was mostly on the strength of that, on the strength of his control. And he wasn't much of a bat misser at all. But like he showed this never before seen uh, upside with the strikeouts that like, I, I don't know, I'm thinking like, remember when Eric Bedard just became this crazy strikeout pitcher? You probably don't, Frank, but a lot of people listening might remember that. And I I feel like I could see John Means going down the same path, except with this excellent control too. And um, I don't know. I think, I think for the price, I'm willing to bank on him making a big splash this year. Yeah. I'm, I'm big on John Means as well. You can go back and listen on demand. We had, Alex Fast here on the podcast does great work over at Pitcher List. He's been on MLB Network, a few other places as well, ESPN. And he's an Orioles fan, so he follows them very closely. And he told us that either right before the season started or as the season started, John Means' father passed away. And that can be a very easy reason for why he got off to such a slow start. I mean, we have to remember baseball players are human as well. But uh, yeah, final four starts really flashed some of that upside for Means. He had 30 strikeouts to just three walks <laughs> during that span. So, And against the Mets at City Field, at Yankee Stadium, against the Tampa Bay Rays at home, and then in Buffalo, which was a hitter's haven against the yeah. Blue Jays. So these weren't just gimmies. These were... He was pitching in tough venues against really good lineups, and the fastball velocity was also up two ticks last year, up to 93.8 miles per hour. So a lot to like about John Means. I personally would take him over both Avaldi and uh, Griffin Canning. Some people might be worried about you know, pitching in the AL East, which is makes sense, but uh, if he's this good, I, I don't think it really matters where he pitches. Chris, a breakout, unless you have anything you, you want to add on Means. Um, I will just make a, a quick little math joke and say he is uh, an exceptionally accurately named player. Mean it also means average. Oh yeah, so in I, math that's, speak, that's what I thought you were going for. So there you go. So he's an average. That is pitcher. my contribution. So he's he's not very good. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't. I don't <laughs> like. A, a recurring theme for me is going to be don't overreact to 2020. And um, that's especially true when we're talking about small samples of the small sample. And in, in his case, I just think you look at the track record, he's got a 397 ERA and 202 innings, and that's with a 252 BABIP. And he wasn't exactly a guy in his minor career who consistently ran super low BABIP. So. Yeah, I'm just. I'm I mean, not sure that's in his skill set. To be fair, if if somebody ended, if a pitcher like Means ended a full length season with four starts, that overwhelming, accompanying a velocity spike, I'd probably still be talking about. He'd be he'd be Joe Musgrove. Chris, are you going to trade me him in Dynasty or what? Of of course, not for Wander. No, <laughs> no. Give me a breakout. Sixto Sanchez. 
And he's a really interesting pitcher because he's the kind of guy, a, a little Nate Evaldi like, um, where you watch him pitch and you're like, how does this guy not strike everyone out? And I think Sixto Sanchez, you know, has even better stuff. Um, you know, 99 mile an hour fastball, sinker and four seam, uh, really good changeup. The changeup made a big leap last season. Um, and, you know, two decent breaking balls. And the, the thing I like about Sixto Sanchez is he, he seems very safe. He's, I, I think he's going to be, uh, you know, as a floor, kind of like a Jose Barrios or Kyle Hendricks type, a guy who doesn't get a ton of strikeouts, but who limits hard contact, limits free passes, and generally pitches deep into games uh, because he pitches so efficiently. However, because that stuff is so good and because he is so young, I think there's a chance that he takes a significant leap forward. And, I, you know, in terms of like, he's been, you know, pretty much a top 15, top 20 prospect the last couple of years. And I think before that it was like top 40, but the biggest questions weren't really, you know, can he be good enough? It was, can he stay healthy? Can he remain a starter? Cause he's a, you know, a, a smaller guy. Um, but I think, you know, what he showed last season, pitching so efficiently, pitching so effectively, um, I really think there's a chance that he takes a leap and, you know, I think he could be a top 15 starter. He doesn't have to be, um, you know, an 11 K per nine guy to be that kind of starting pitcher either because of the contact suppression and because of the, the control, I think he could be someone who walks or strikes out a batter per nine, but pitches so efficiently otherwise that he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. Maybe he figures it out in terms of generating whiffs. I don't know if it'll happen right away. I know that the highlight of his season was when he struck out 10 against the Tampa Bay Rays on August 28th. And then over his final five starts, his K per nine was just 6.3. So I don't know if that's a sign of things to come or not, but I know that his strikeout rate was just kind of pedestrian in the minors. Uh, Chris, yeah. I, I wanted to ask where he ranks among uh, other youngsters, I'll call them, that are kind of going in the same range. For example, Ian Anderson is going about 20 picks higher in ADP. Like, would you take six to over Ian Anderson in a vacuum or how do you feel there? Uh, let me find my rankings and then I can answer these questions. Well, in the meantime, I'll ask Scott, Scott, would you take six Sanchez over Ian Anderson? I have them back to back in my rankings, but I have Ian Anderson ahead. Good man. Homer Braves versus Marlins here on the podcast. Ian Anderson versus six Sanchez. Um, yeah, d- definitely different pitchers. The two, Uh, Ian Anderson, I think, has higher strikeout upside, but also will walk a lot more batters than uh, Sixto Sanchez will. And and the price is a little bit higher because Ian Anderson looked fantastic in the postseason. Um, You know, first time he's been there, biggest stage going up against, uh, I think he faced, you know, the Dodgers a few times and he looked the part, so... I mm-hmm. I would take Ian Anderson over Sixto as well. Chris, did you find those yet? I'm just I have Ian Anderson just a little bit ahead of Sixto. Okay. How about Sixto versus Jesus Lazardo? I have Lazardo ahead of him. How about Sixto versus Julio Arias? I have Sixto ahead of Julio Arias. Okay, he's going two spots ahead of him in ADP. So it seems like you're probably in the right range. Um, again, that is Sixto Sanchez. Scott, did you give us a breakout already? I'm losing my mind. I did. It was, uh, it was John Means. <laughs> All right, so that means I'm left, and I will tell you guys, I've referenced his name a few times here on the podcast the past couple of weeks. 
Austin Riley. Big fan of Austin Riley. This upcoming season, we all remember what he did in 2019. Big prospect, has the power, hits 14 home runs, first two months, and then just falls off the face of the earth. Finishes 2019 with a 36% strikeout rate. Uh, but what I really liked was that he he failed. He got knocked down in, in 2019, and he came back in 2020. Small sample size, shortened season, whatever it might be. But he progressed, and that's really what you want to see from a young player. He lowered the strikeout rate to 23%, which is right around league average. The walk rate went up. He did this while hitting the ball harder. He had a higher average exit velocity in 2020 versus 2019. His XBA and expected slugging percentage were both higher than his actual batting average and actual slugging percentage. So I just think if he takes that approach of making more contact and kind of blends it in with the power, you know, maybe the strikeouts come back up a little bit. But if he puts those two things together, I think we could see like a 270, 25, 30 home run season in the middle of a really good Braves lineup. And he's going outside the top 200. So big, big. Yeah, I mean, you saw what, what that lineup did for Marcelo Zuna and his counting stats. You know, if Austin Riley, he's not going, I don't think he's going to be as good as Marcelo Zuna was last season. But, um, you know, if he can be a 270 hitter and he can hit, you know, 30 home runs, which given the raw power that he has should be, you know, relatively easy if he's making the kind of contact he was last season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not out of the question that he could drive in 100 runs in this lineup. I think Riley probably has like 40 homer upside. I mean, he got the same, I think it was a 70 grade. Um, Most scouts gave him on the 2080 scouting scale, 70 grade for power, which was like, you know, Pete Alonzo level power. Uh, But, you know, that's obviously just in theory what he could do. And uh, we'll see if he does it. But I like him as a breakout too. And he's, you know, played something close to, you know, he has 503 plate appearances, so a little less than a full season. And he has 26 home runs and 76 RBI. And that's with, you know, that, you know, overall pretty mediocre to bad 2019. Yeah. And they've already said that he is going to be the starting third baseman for the team. So uh, projection systems like him a lot, too. They, also, they all have him around 30 home runs, good counting stats. I'm a fan, big fan of uh, Austin Riley. Bust, let's end with some busts here before we hit some questions. I noticed we all have a top 12 starting pitcher by ADP, not by rankings, because Scott does not have Walker Bueller inside his top 12. But we, uh, between us three, Chris has Trevor Bauer as a bust, Scott has Walker Bueller as a bust, and I have Max Scherzer as a bust. But I did think about Walker Bueller. I was just, yeah, I was flip-flopping between those two, Scherzer and Bueller. I'm probably not going to own either one. Uh, but Scott, would you like to talk about one? Uh, would you like to talk about Bueller or potentially a different bust? It's up to you. Well, I've talked about pitchers only so far, so maybe I should talk about a hitter here. I will just say my concern for Bueller has nothing to do with his skill level and everything to do with the way the Dodgers handle him and how that they might even go more extreme after a year when he threw just 60 innings or so. Uh, But the one I want to highlight is Teoscar Hernandez, who is actually the bust pick I'm most confident about. Mm -mm, Bad Scott. Bad, bad Scott. Well, here's the thing. He was very productive last year. Yes. He had never shown anywhere near that productivity before. What he had showed before was the ability to hit the ball hard It went to another level last year, which is what allowed for him to be so productive, but it went to a level that 
is kind of difficult to believe. It it looked like just a hotter version of Teoscar Hernandez, basically, uh, which isn't so hard to conceive considering he played only about 50 games. I mean, he could just be really hot for that stretch of time. Mm-hmm. This is especially true since he struck out at a 30.4% rate still, which is awful. Takes a very special type of hitter to succeed in spite of a strikeout rate that high. It takes one who hits the ball uh, so hard that he's an outlier in terms of how hard he hits the ball, which is what happened for Hernandez last year. But I just looking at the track record and considering how short the season was and considering he didn't show any skills improvement otherwise, I think he's going to turn back into a pumpkin this year. I, I think there is a... Sorry, go ahead. And I don't want any shares of him. Go ahead. I've got him on my bus list as well. And, and mm. I think he's a good example of something that I've talked about in the past where we have you know, the traditional numbers and then we have the traditional advanced numbers. And then we have all these like batted ball and pitch velocity and exit velocity and all this stuff that like seems like it measures skill. You know, it, it gets us closer to being able to actually measure, you know, the scouting grade stuff and the actual skill level of the player. And so I think there is an assumption that that's more static that you can't like, you can get hot and have a 360 BABIP and fake of 300 average. And I think there is, to a certain extent, an assumption that you can't fake hitting the ball as hard as Teoscar Hernandez did. And that's true. He did hit the ball that hard. But just like production ebbs and flows, these skill level uh, things ebb and flow. Sometimes you're just locked in. Sometimes you just hit the ball harder. Sometimes you don't strike out. And when when I'm looking at you know the 2020 season and trying to figure out should I change my opinion on this player based on what we saw in 2020? The, you know, like I said with Giancarlo Stan, it's, did we learn something new about this person? And in Teoscar Hernandez's case, we didn't really. We knew he was super athletic. We knew he could hit the ball hard. Uh, we didn't care about it that much because he struck out too much and didn't, you know, make the most of that skill set. And maybe the 53 games or 47 games, whatever he played last season, represents him figuring it out but you know his adp is close to 100 i believe and, and in that range we're 72.7 chris yeah way more than 100 yeah like that you're you're paying for like this is who he is now mm-hmm. like he's a 280 ish hitter with 25 home runs and 12 stolen and like well no might, I, I you're you're paying more for like 30 35 right, right. home runs probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he could be that he certainly has the, it's the skill is there, but the larger sample size of his career tells us that he just got hot. And I think this is one of those cases where we're kind of missing the forest for the trees as a, you know, fantasy community, mm. fantasy philosopher. That's Chris with, uh, with the great sayings as always. <laughs> but, um, Man, I'm torn on Teoscar Hernandez. I'm kind of on the fence here, but I'm leaning more with you guys that it's a big price tag to pay at that current ADP. I don't really think that there's that much of a difference between him and his teammate, Lourdes Gurriel, and Gurriel's going 23 picks later on average. So you can get him two rounds later, and I think that he's proven it's not really a fluke at this point. Like Lourdes Gurriel is just a really, really good player. He doesn't hit the ball as hard. He's not as flashy, but... He's going to hit in the middle of the lineup and he makes more contact than T Oscar. So 
Uh, mm-hmm. That's my take for today. I'll, I will, in a vacuum, I will take Lourdes Gurriel over Teoscar Hernandez in 2021. Chris, uh, quickly, a minute or less, give me, give me one of your busts. Uh, Trevor Bauer. I'll, I'll, I'll quote uh, my I, guy. I tried Obi-Wan this. Kenobi. I tried this. Chris. Captured. Uh, what are we doing? How did this happen? We're smarter than this. We've done this before with Trevor Bauer. And yes, he was really good in 2018. Yes, he was really good in 2020. That's two of the last three seasons. But there was a little bit of luck involved in 2020, which will happen when you have a 173 ERA. But his uh, peripheral suggested more like a low to mid threes ERA. Um, Obviously, we know he's combustible. Um, I think he's actually someone with a really high floor. I think there's very little chance that Trevor Bauer goes out there in 2021 and you know, is a complete bust, just doesn't give you any value. And so that makes him at the starting pitcher position a relative rarity, but we're drafting him as a top four starting pitcher based on, you know, like we've done this before. Based you know, on spin rate. bust out in 2019. I think he's capable of this, but we're drafting him at, you know, basically at his ceiling now. It, it's based on spin rate, Chris. That's Ultimately, when you dive into the numbers and you try to figure out what changed for Trevor Bauer year over year that made him so good, he led all of baseball with spin rate on his fastball. This was a fastball that Mm -hmm. had a 151 batting average against a 185 Babbitt and a 542 OPS. Yeah, it was it was great. Yeah, Um, his Babbitt overall was 215. It was 294 for his career ERA in his last four seasons. One, seven, three, four, four, eight, two, two, one, four, one, nine. Maybe he's just this good and he's this awesome and he's going to make me look foolish again. I will say, if he goes to a team that lets him pitch every fourth day, he, That's, yeah. he's probably the number one pitcher in fantasy. I mean, if if especially in a head-to-head points league, like if he actually does try to pitch every fourth day and doesn't get hurt, he's going to run away with the best starting pitcher, uh, number one starting pitcher, even if he has like a 380 RA. Just yeah. that, that's, that's how significant that difference in volume will be. I'm skeptical of it. But that potential is there. Yeah. I, I worry about him as well. Um, and the thing, you know, nothing's ever static with Trevor Bauer. You know, we talked about this heading into 2019. He tinkered his way to being an elite pitcher in 2018. He tinkered his way out of it in 2019. There's always the risk that that's going to happen as well. Uh, I'll just quickly mention Max Scherzer, who I have as one of my busts. Uh, he's 36 years old, ADP of 27. So you're getting him at a bit of a discount. Last year, he was a borderline first round pick. Now he's an early third round pick. Uh, but the walks were up over three walks per nine. That was his highest since 2010. The swinging strike rate still really, really good for him and higher than the league average, 14.7%. But that was his lowest to, uh, lo- lowest percentage since 2014. He has the neck and the back injuries in his in the past as well for Scherzer. So um, I'm worried about all three of those pitchers that I mentioned. Bauer for Chris has him as a bust. Scott has Bueller and uh, Scherzer. So within the first, you know, two or three rounds, you're looking for pitchers to avoid. Those are the three that I would be looking at uh, personally. Want to hit some questions here. Fantasy baseball at CBSI.com. Continue to send those in. We do have a lot coming in right now, and I, I will answer some of those individually myself uh, when I can. Um, but it's also when you're sending in keeper questions or dynasty questions to try and limit it to like whoever you're actually <laughs> thinking about keeping and, and like try not to send your entire team just because it, it will 
it's more likely for us to choose for me to choose that question to put on the podcast if there's less names. If I'm just being completely honest. So continue to send those emails in. Just be cognizant of that. This one's from Tyler. 12 team Roto League $100 salary cap draft. Not an auction anymore. Get to keep up to three players. Lineup has four outfielders, a corner and middle infielder, five starting pitchers and three relief pitchers. Only one bench bench spot. Interesting. Corbin Burns for four bucks. Max Freed, $6. Kent Maeda, $4. Jesus Lazardo, $8. Brendan Lau, 2 bucks. Corey Seager, 8 bucks. Dansby Swanson, $2. So out of these seven names, you have to keep three. Scott? Corey Seager, Kent Maeda, and man, that one bench spot makes things weird. <laughs> I, think, I think one of the pitchers, but who's liable to you know, they, they're, they all, they're all going to have workload issues. So I'll just say Corbin Burns because that's the one I rank the highest. So uh, yeah, Corey Seager can tomato Corbin Burns. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I have Burns ranked higher than Freed and he is cheaper for Tyler. So let's go with that. This one's from Mark. My fantasy baseball bucket list includes trying out the Marmol strategy in a real league. So for those who play in head to head category leagues, which at times we are a little bit neglectful towards, but whenever we talk about Roto or Categories League, more often than not, that means we're talking about head-to-head categories. Unless you play in a head-to-head categories league that includes walks or on-base percentage or total bases. If that's the case, then you might want to use our head-to-head points rankings. But the Marmol strategy is in a head-to-head category league with either no weekly innings minimum or a low one, you use your first 10 picks or so on hitters You don't draft a single starting pitcher unless your league requires you to do so. And if you must draft a starting pitcher, target ones late that have innings pitch concerns, but good ratios. From rounds 11 on, you focus on remaining closers, high-end setup relievers with strong ratios. You punt wins and strikeouts, but your offense is theoretically great. And you should win ERA, whip, and saves most weeks. So, Chris, I'll go to you for this one. Um... Your thoughts, advice, tips on the, the best way to execute the Marmol strategy or is it against the, quote, integrity of the game? <laughs> no. I mean, you know, if, if the Rays can do it, I guess you can do it. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, you know, if it's within the rules of the game, there's nothing, there's no reason not to. Um, I think that the best advice you can give for executing this strategy is actually execute it. It is it's 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 a lot like going true zero rb in a fantasy football draft where you're going to start getting really antsy and you're going to start you know you might take a peek at your projected stats and you might start to panic a little bit you can't do that you have to execute the strategy and realize that coming out of the draft when you look at your team there might be holes there. You know, you might look at your pitching and, and because you're so used to having five or six starting pitchers, you might, you know, start to freak out a little bit and think that it's not going to work, but it's actually a very viable strategy. It's one that can work in a a head to head categories league, especially, and you've just got to commit to it. You can't, this is not the kind of thing that you can go half in. You have to go either all in or don't try it. That's true. And I do think it 
can work, but I want to point out that it's named the Marmol strategy after a relief pitcher named Carlos Marmol, who peaked about almost 15 years ago. It's a 15-year-old strategy, and the landscape of the league was very different back then. And I just don't think it's like the landscape was such that there was more differentiation between hitters than there is now. And I don't think investing your first 10 picks in hitters guarantees you as much dominance in those categories as it did then. So I wouldn't do it. That's just my two cents. I I think the, one of the biggest things about it though is it is one of the few ways that you can really target stolen bases and not have to not feel the sacrifice that you're making when you're targeting an Adalberto Mondesi. Hmm. I will say, uh, Chris, you said don't go like half in when you do it. Usually for me in head-to-head categories leagues, and I don't play in a lot of them, maybe one or two per season, but I I think I kind of use like a pseudo version of this. Uh, I usually punt steals. I just draft, I try to draft high batting average, high home runs, and you know, every time someone hits a home run, they're giving you a hit, a run, and an RBI. So I, I focus on those four offensive categories, fade steals, and then on the pitching side, I'll, I'll, Try to t- I'll target two aces within my first four or five picks, uh, and then I'll just wait and I'll take some closers and, and high end relievers, but usually have three closers and maybe two or three other high end relievers that are just constantly racking up stats for me throughout the course of the week. Uh, and then I'll just pick up some whatever two starters or streamers. Uh, but you still kind of have that chance at wins because you have those two aces at the top. So yeah. it's and, kind and- of a pseudo Marmol strategy, but not really. Another strategy part of it is it does matter whether you're playing in a one win per week or 10 games per week head-to-head categories format. And by that, I mean, if you win five categories, you tie one and your opponent wins four. If you get, if you go five, four and one in that strategy, I think it's a little harder to justify this strategy because you're going to end up being pretty middling. I think if you just get one win a week and you can figure out a way to dominate five categories, uh, it's a lot easier to get away with this. For We're going to wrap there. For Scott and Chris, I'm Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. I will let you know that on Wednesday, uh, Danny Vietti and Will Middlebrooks will have AJ Preller from the Padres on the podcast. So definitely wow. going to want to listen uh, and watch that podcast as well. We will be back on Thursday. Bye-bye. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework.